This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. You're listening to a Joycast from GLBTIQ community radio station, Joy 94.9. Good evening, Leith Marshall. Good evening, Serena Ryan. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How about yourself? Look, I'm still breathing. Oh, that's always a bonus, I reckon. I figure. Especially yeah. if I, after a public holiday. Yeah, it was a bit of a big one for me. What about you? Um, I worked mm-hmm. um, and I'd been to a onesie birthday party the night before. Hot. Yeah, 30th birthday for a good friend of mine, Gemma Thomas. Mm-hmm. She, she better be listening out there. Um, and I went as a bat. You went as a bat. Sexiest damn bat you've ever seen. Yeah. But, yeah, mm. in adult pyjamas. Yeah, mental pictures, not good. No. <laughs> Facebook pictures are worse. <laughs> it's five minutes past seven. You are listening to Salt and Pepper, minus the pepper, with Leith Marshall filling in for Pete tonight. It's it's really good of you to join us. Thank you Thank so you. much. I'm like the dash of ginger in the well, salt and pepper. Are. Yeah. You are. So what are you, like Tabasco? Yeah, maybe. Salt and Tabasco? Yeah. That's Does a not... bad combo. Oh. Yeah, it is, really. Um, <laughs> we've got a really good show tonight. We uh, are talking to Dr. Simon Crouch, who's a PhD candidate from the University of Melbourne. Mm-hmm. He's about to present some findings around uh, same-sex parenting. Really interesting study coming out of the U of Melbourne, and we're thrilled to have him tonight. They press-released it last week, so he's kindly joining us in the studio to give us a bit of a snapshot of what his findings are. Yeah, that's great. It is good. But they're going to tra- talk to Rodney Chan-Cruz, who is not only a gay dad, but he's also... The co-moderator of Gay Dads Australia. Okay. Which is kind of a peak body organisation for for men who identify as gay and have children. Fantastic. So we're going to get his impressions of the research as well. And then we're going to really change gears a bit. I'm going to play some, well, we're going to play some audio of the very crazy Mark Latham on Q&A last night, courtesy of the ABC, Mm -hmm. making some comments around the leadership meltdown in the ALP, which I think is... It's happening, right? Oh, yeah. 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 There's that's, something that's rotten the in the state of Denmark, clearly. Um, I, I kind of feel like Julia Gillard's becoming the Iron Lady in the scenario and Kevin's kind of the angry koala. The angry koala? Yeah, he, he looks like a koala to me. Oh, I'm going to start saying that wherever I go now. Just it's hashtag just it, babe. Hashtag angry koala. Absolutely. Indeed. So I want to chat to Tim... Wilson, because he's a, a liberal man. He works for the Institute of Public Affairs. He's got some really interesting views around the ALP because mm-hmm. um, obviously he's from the other side of the fence. Yes. So, And then I thought we could balance the books a bit and chat to Greg Adkins, who is the president of the South Yarra branch of the ALP. And he's also on the National Gay and Lesbian Advisory Committee as well. So he has a really interesting take on what this leadership meltdown as well might mean. And I guess my very long-winded point is it's all about Kevin Rudd changing his position recently on marriage equality. Yeah, that was a big surprise, actually. Well, for me, anyway. I don't know. I do think he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. But I I wonder what it means for the gays in terms of how they feel about Julia and -hmm. if they're going to get caught up in the romance of Kevin going, gays should get married. I wonder if there's going to be some some tension there that that creates. Yeah, no, definitely. It should be interesting, though. Um, I think it's an interesting conversation to have because mm. if Kevin comes back in to lead the country, which I think is unlikely, 
will he make good on marriage equality? Well, the thing is, I reckon he's placing a bet each way in that he knows that even if uh, Jules gets rolled and he takes over again, that they're still probably not going to make it through the election because everyone will have been sick of all the rubbish that's been going on with the party, that big tone's going to get in. Piss and moan tone. Yeah. Um, Who's afraid of gays. He's threatened by them and he'd like to stop the boats. And we know how well that played out last week. Yeah. Over 160 so, people dead in the water, literally. So Gays on boats would terrify him. Absolutely. <laughs> I did steal that. Before you call in and complain, I did steal that from like a Facebook thing. Yeah, but you totally owned it. I know. So well done. Written by me. <laughs> Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycasts. I want to talk to you about this research project that's being conducted as part of the Jack Brockhoff Child and Health Child Health and Wellbeing Program at the University of Melbourne. It's the first study in Australia to consider the health and well-being of children with same-sex attracted parents. So it's interesting, Leith, because there's been a lot of stuff in the media around, um, you know, gay people shouldn't have kids, and and the interview that Pete and I did last year with the Salvos Mm. um, has been re-released by the Examiner in America and um, changed, changed. The transcript of the interview has been changed to say that it's gay parents, not gays in general. That's unbelievable. There is a a big groundswell to stop gay people from... uh, you know, procreating. So Dr. Simon Crouch from the research team joins us Joins us now. Welcome, Simon. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. Tell us about this research you're doing because it's part of your PhD candidacy. Yes. Walk us through it. So this is the Australian study of child health in same-sex families. And what we're looking at is the complete physical, mental and social well-being of children in Australia under the age of 18 years with gay, lesbian, bisexual or transgendered parents. Fantastic. So you're not just looking at the gays or the lesbians. You're actually, you're a one-stop shop. (laughs) That was the idea. Uh, There has been research conducted overseas before, which has looked into this area, but really is just focused on lesbian parents. Mm -hmm. And we thought it was really important to make sure that we had the whole of the GLBTIQ community represented in the study. Do you think that the the focus on lesbian parents is because we've got the technology? <laughs> That's definitely we've got part the bits of it. And bobs. Yeah, from a historical perspective, lesbians have been having children for a, a long time, and so really? there are a lot of children oh my God. out there. <laughs> Absolutely. Whereas for gay men. Um, in, in the context of a, a same-sex relationship especially, it's a much more recent phenomena, particularly with the improving access to surrogacy. So we really wanted to capture gay men. But then, we found, as with many areas of health and well-being, bisexual, transgender communities do get excluded, and we really wanted to be as inclusive as possible. Wow, it's, it's, it's starting off well. I mean, the way you're pitching it, it sounds <laughs> fantastic, because I, I, don't, I don't know of any other research that's that inclusive. So... What were your research, what was your hypothesis, for instance? So our hypotheses were really driven by the research that has gone before. And if you look at that research, whilst there are limitations, one of which being lesbian women, the other being small sample sizes, they're the key limitations. The previous research does tend to show that children with same-sex attracted parents are doing quite well. So we went into it suspecting to find something similar being supported by the previous research. So that was really our main hypothesis. But there has been some work coming out of Europe mainly um, that has considered the impact that discrimination has 
females on same-sex families and the children in that context. So we also thought that perhaps, look, if same-sex families are encountering discrimination, perhaps that's having some impact on child health as well. Would that also speak to the body of research that sits around within the mental health spectrum around higher rates of alcohol and drug use and depression and, and sort of access one and access two disorders um, for gay and lesbian people based on their experience of exclusion and discrimination within community? Yeah, very similar sorts of things. Um, however, I think there is a difference in the context of same-sex families. There is something about the characteristics of gay and lesbian and bisexual transgender people who decide to have a family. They, they are more comfortable in who they are, and so they are starting out from a very well-grounded position. Um, and that does seem to instill some resilience and coping strategies in the children themselves. So they are a slightly different population. I did hear about a recent overseas study, and like you said, it was different sample size, and I think it just focused on uh, children of uh, same-sex attracted women but like you said a lot of the times because they'd come from a place where you know nothing was really taboo and they had coped with uh, negativity from the general public at times they were able to you know cope better with decision skill uh, decision making skills as they got older and you know less instances of uh, depression and that sort of thing because they were just used to saying you know we're all the same we're all equal let's talk about it you know don't, don't be down on anyone else and that sort of thing. It's really quite interesting to see how it will come out from the Australian study with, you know, our healthcare standards and also from all the different, uh, I suppose, genders that you're going to sort of look at. Yeah, and so some of the early stuff we're getting in is, is supporting that, that we are finding that... Um, because same-sex parents um, expect to some degree to face issues as they go through life and their children to face issues. From a very early age, they start these conversations with their kids, start this dialogue. And, and one of the measures that we've found that kids are doing particularly well on is the family cohesion measure. And that's about how families get along. And I think that's all to do with the communication that the parents sort of set up in a, at the early stages. It sort of reminds me of some research that I read by Granfield and Cloud a, a long time ago now who talked about people who recover from particular addictions. And I'm not drawing a line between the two, not for a moment, but they talked about the ingredients that these people have being around their social capital and their, their EQ and their IQ and their, their emotional intelligence was was typically more robust and their social capital in terms of what they had around them with supports and family and friends and a social network and some good good structures was a great predictor of, of them moving forward in a really positive way. Would some of those variables be similar, do you think, in terms Absolutely, of measuring yeah. those sort of robust and resilience factors? So social capital is a really important factor in health promotion in general. Um, and what we tend to find with same-sex parent families is they seek communities and environments that are very supportive of their family. Um, a lot of them are members of uh, rainbow playgroups or um, they particularly seek schools that have a diverse um, you know, body of uh, families that they will really feel comfortable fitting in with as opposed to just going off to the local school you know that's around the corner and you've mentioned sample size being a limiting factor in other in other studies overseas can you tell us what your sample size is i can we have 500 children being represented in our study which is a fantastic sample size and how many parents is that so we have 315 parents who have responded to the survey that represent those uh, 500 children that's what's, a great size study. What's the spread with the ages as well? Is it yep. just little kids or is it you know right up to teenagers? So we have children from the age of two months all the way through to 17 years. Um, there is a slight skew to the younger ages, particularly as we're seeing more and more families 
creating um, families in the context of same-sex relationships and yeah, accessing fertility treatment. Uh, but we do have a full range from um, two months to 17 years. That's fantastic. Fantastic. It's almost... It's, I will say it's kind of exciting in a way to find out, you know, what that's going to bring out of the woodwork. Because as you were sort of touching on at the start... At the moment, you know, a lot of media or a lot of groups are just using, uh, you know, what they assume would be the case to support their argument. And you can't really support your argument by doing that. Mm. It's just lots of guessing and going, oh, well, we imagine that, you know, it's bad for the children and blah, blah, blah. And this will actually, you know be another step to prove that you know no different to any other child in the playground yeah and this is a first snapshot that we're we're putting together now and we do hope to follow this up over time and get some longitudinal data to see how the kids are going over time so that'd be really exciting yeah definitely is there capacity within your study to apply the sort of seven up process (laughs) because you're british so you would know that series right um so there is there um when participants took part in our research we asked for contact details if they're prepared to give them and around 95 percent of the sample provided contact details for the future follow-ups so um, once we've got this first round of data out there and fully published then we'll be looking to do some further work can you give us a sneak preview of 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 what findings might have surprised you um i think the strengths of the difference in the two categories that we've seen so far so we had we put out an interim report um, last week which really was for our participants um, just to keep them up to date and it was a very brief report but the media sort of leapt on it and it's gone all around the world but um, what we found was there was no difference in most of the measures we've looked at so far but in two measures of general health and family cohesion that I mentioned before we are seeing quite a strong difference so it's, it was quite surprising to see how strong that difference was now we don't know yet what the reason for that is the as I mentioned for the family cohesion probably due to communication and resilience building um, so it'll be really interesting to delve a little bit deeper into the the results to see what's causing that so you're saying there's a difference in the ghq stuff the general health questionnaire so yeah in the, the child in the child health questionnaire measures okay um, and the general health is one of the domains in that mm-hmm. and the family cohesion is another domain there are about i think 10 domains in all in that okay. um that um, particular instrument and those are the two domains that are showing a difference. Is it possible that this speaks to a a bigger need around um, specialised psychometric testing for this type of family or kids raised in this environment? Would would that be drawing a very long bow or...? Yeah, I don't think it needs to be specialised. The instruments we've used are applicable to children in any context and have been used with children from many different backgrounds. Um, One of the things we did struggle to find, surprisingly, was a, a suitable instrument to measure discrimination in the family context for our families and um, Henny Boss in the Netherlands had actually created an instrument that she'd used with lesbian couples and their children in the Netherlands that we were able to adapt but I was surprised at the the limited range of options there were in that particular area so we, we thought we're fortunate to find that tool. When can we expect to see the full report? Yeah look I'm ambitiously hoping September but um, okay. don't hold me to that. <laughs> and I read your interim report today where can people find that for anyone who's listening right now who might like to log on and have a little screen? Yeah, so that's on our website, which is hs.org.au. So that's A-C-H-E-S-S.org.au. Fantastic. And if I, I know that you're not accepting any new participants for the study, uh, but can people drop you a line if they have any inquiries or anything like that? I'm very happy to hear from people and all our contact details are on that website. Well, look, we do wish you the very best of luck. It's really important work that you're doing. So congratulations. Thank you very and much. Um, I'll be so keen to read uh, what you come up with. And, and, and thank you for sharing it with us and our, our listeners tonight. My pleasure. Thank you. We've been chatting to Dr. Simon Crouch from the University of Melbourne about the same-sex parent study which is, you know, coming to your bookstores soon. 
Thank you for listening to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. The lovely Gordon is waiting with bated breath and a lovely Scottish accent and a little bit of red hair on the landline on 1300 Joy 949. <laughs> You've got red hair as well, so I think I you do. two could be friends. A tinge friends. of ginge. Just a tinge of ginge. The ginger ninja. Um, please send us a, an, an email, if you like, on air at joy.org.au. Lovely. Well, building on the research information Dr. Crouch shared with us just before about same-sex parenting families, we're actually joined by Gay Dads Australia co-moderator Rodney Chan-Cruz, who is also a gay dad. Good evening, Rodney. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. It's really nice to speak to you, Rodney. Tell us what your thoughts are on this new new research that Simon is, is going to release to the world in September. Well, the interim report was really interesting to see, and I guess... From our perspective, it didn't come as a surprise. We know our kids are um, doing well in all those uh, markers. And um, and I think that's true with same-sex parents um, uh, across the board because we all um, go to a lot of trouble to have children. It's not you know something that happens in the back of a car on, on a Saturday night after a few Bacardi breezes. It's um, <laughs> something that's... Well, maybe not but, for you, but... <laughs> Yeah, it's something that has to be well planned out and well thought out. And I think uh, there's the other aspect too, is that um, uh, being a a same-sex couple with children is that you have to be out. You have to be out and proud all the time. There's no pretending um, uh, that, uh, you know, you uh, you had a child the natural way. Um, It's uh, usually through an um, artificial or IVF process. So... You're always out and proud about it in the first place, and I think that uh, reflects on our kids, and our kids pick that up. Well, I think it's interesting that you talk about, you know, having children the natural way. I think that, you know, the way that we that we bring children into the world is is very natural. It's just the technology that assists us in getting yeah. there that is perhaps a little different. The actual, yeah. you know, the the process itself of 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 a baby growing, it's all, you know, it's all part of that rich tapestry of 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 bringing a little human into the world. Yeah, natural probably wasn't the right word, but I think what what is natural is the um, uh, desire for people to become parents. Now, um, being a parent uh, for a straight couple or a straight individual or a gay couple is not a given. I mean, not it's not suitable for everybody, but uh, for some people it is very natural and it is something that they're very passionate about and they do want to create a family. And gay people are no different. I find it really interesting when people find out that I'm gay and they assume that because I'm gay that that eliminates my reproductive capacity. It is. It's, it's a shocking thing. And it, it, unfortunately... It's offensive. It's, something that, it's offensive, but something that actually exists with, has existed within the gay community as well. We, we self-censor ourselves in a sense. Um, I remember when I was growing up, I just assumed I would never be a father. Um, but things have changed. Technology has allowed, uh, particularly gay men, the opportunity to become parents via uh, things like surrogacy. And now I, I hear these young young gay men, you know, their early 20s, um, who talk quite openly about, oh, when I get older and I'll, I'll, I'll get married to, you know, my boyfriend and we'll have kids together. It's, it's, they talk as if it is so natural and so normal uh, progression, where it's just say ten years ago, it was something that was quite out of bounds and quite out it's of quite the hidden. Mind of, yeah, it's quite hidden and out of mind of people because we had we didn't really have access to this technology. Certainly, gay men didn't. 
I was very similar growing up as well in that I uh, was hesitant to come out for various reasons and, and then I was worried about telling my family and that uh, my parents would be disappointed about not having grandchildren. But now, years later, the running gag is at the rate my two older heterosexual brothers are going, I'm probably going to have all the kids before them. So it's, it's a nice... It's, I know, you know, it's, it's just nice a nice evolution. thing to joke about, you know, to be able to joke about it in that it's come such a long way that, uh, you know, I'm going to have and if I can tell you just one little quick story is uh, when Ethan was born, he's our oldest, he's um, now six and a half, we were in the Age newspaper and he was about two months old when we were photographed. And the next day we were walking down the street in Collins Street and I was pushing the pram and um, this uh, woman in her 50s, short woman, came rushing over to me and I thought, oh, what's all this about? She started whispering to me in hushed tones and she said, you were in the paper yesterday. I said, yes, we were, and I'm expecting to get a tirade of abuse. And she said, well, my son's just come out and now I know that he can be a father too, so thank you. And it was the most beautiful thing and I thought, well, that's, that's just a wonderful thing. It's not just gay men and lesbians who are making this realisation, it's their parents. And I think you've, you've touched on something there that for me it's going to be a really special day in our world where those sorts of articles can appear in mainstream publications and we don't have to fear that level of censorship in the street where you automatically thought, oh dear, what, what's going to go on now? Um, I, I think we're slowly evolving. Yeah, I think we are too. And I think actually, I think probably more than slowly, I think in the last um, three to five years, it has been a massive change um, in people's attitudes. Um, the only people who seem to make a big noise about um, uh, same-sex couples having children are the, you know, the usual suspects, the wacky religious right. But most people in the community, I- I'd like to say that we've had some um, some discriminations or some negative comments in the last seven years, but we haven't had any. We've had quite the opposite. Everybody's excited and pleased and that's just not in inner city Melbourne either that's going out into the countryside up in um, uh, up near the Murray etc okay. most people are they're just curious they just want to know, oh, so how does it all work how did it all happen Mm, um, yeah, I can't worry not, about those questions. How, that, not, how does that work? Certainly not in the back of a car after a few Bacardi breezes, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's just a teenage dream. Um, look, Rodney, thank you so much for joining us tonight and, and sharing your story and your, your impressions of this really important research that the University of Melbourne is releasing in September. Um, very briefly before we say goodnight, where can people find Gay Dads? Gay Dads Australia is at gaydadsaustralia.com. They can just go to that website and they can find out all about us there. And your Twitter handle is gaydadsoz and that's O-Z. Z, that's correct. Yeah. All right. They can contact me via that as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me, guys. Take it easy, mate. Okay. Bye. I think, you know, this man, Simon Crouch, is going to be the voice of same-sex research. He is running the largest study that I know of in the world. It's fantastic. It's amazing. To find out more about Joy 94.9, check out joy.org.au. Did you just turn my mic on whilst I was talking to you? (laughs) Oh, honestly, it's so hard to find good help these days. I know, right? You are totally dropped. Matt. Oh, my God, it's 20 to 8. I'm officially not speaking to you. You're listening to Joy 94.9 with <laughs> and Salt and Pepper. And just a little mini breakdown. I'm here with Leith Marshall, who is our Tabasco sauce tonight, if we extend the condiment metaphor. Yes. It <laughs> kind of sucks a bit, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, I'll work on it. Anyway, look, I want to play some audio from 
Q&A last night of Mark Latham, who, you know, dude's just a bit of a red-hot poker. And um, he had some comments last night about Kevin Rudd and, you know, all this leadership meltdown stuff that's that's going on. So we're going to listen to this audio and then we're going to chat to Tim Wilson from the Institute of Public Affairs and get his take on it. He knows that every day that he gets in the media cycle, he's knocking Gillard down a notch or two in the polls. This is a program, a jihad of revenge, the like of which we've never seen before in the history of Australian politics. And it goes beyond the normal human reaction of revenge. You're getting into the realm of evil here with Rudd, the realm of evil. Again with the buttons, Matt. Again with the buttons. Oh, my God. That's it. You're totally dropped. I think he's drunk. I know. I think there's just something very, very wrong. Um, Tim Wilson is a classical liberal public policy analyst and one of Australia's most challenging opinion makers drawing on strong philosophical principles backed up with evidence whilst maintaining a real-world edge. He's passionate, he's controversial, and he's fearless, and he's a bit talky, and he's on the line right now. Good evening, Tim. Thanks, and thanks for uh, reciting exactly what it says on my website. Yeah, man, I'm not doing the homework. Jesus. <laughs> I, can't, I can't sell you any better than you're selling yourself. No, that's true. Thank you for the compliment. Oh, look, thank you for joining us, Tim. I, I wanted to chat to you, as as did Leith, who's joining us tonight as a guest host, um, about this Mark Latham stuff uh, as it relates to his commentary around Kevin Rudd. The, the gays are getting a little bit excited about the prospect of Kevin, Kevin coming back into the PM seat because he's all about the marriage equality love now. What's your take on this? Is the, is the ALP in crisis? Oh, I don't think there's any ambiguity. It's in crisis. It's basically at its lowest primary vote levels in, uh, in half a century. Uh, it basically is going to get annihilated at the next federal election. It's going to get annihilated. There are some states, three states potentially, where they may not have a single lower house member of parliament. When you compound that, compound that with state uh, parliamentary losses in places like Queensland, it starts to bring into question whether they can be a viable political party for a decade or so. But the question is how much of the problem is about their policies and how much of it is about the leadership. And I think people are massively overlooking the policy dimension and not just uh, the leadership issue, which isn't the the core of their their problem. In fact, if you look at most of the problems they've got on policy, which have dogged this government, have dogged Julia Gillard, to be quite frank, Kevin Rudd started them all. Mm, Okay. So what do you think is going to play out this week in Canberra? Uh, I think there's going to be, I think Mark Latham's channeling a lot of frustration amongst those people who think that, you know, whatever our bet is, we've made it. Mm. We've got to uh, work with it and we've got to do our best to try and win. And in part, he's right. Kevin Rudd is a bit of a nutter. Uh, he is somebody who, out, who likes to go out there and cause maximum revenge and damage on Julia Gillard. And uh, he's, he's doing that while also playing political strategy. And the political strategy is if I go out there, if I rally the troops, if I look like the optimist, maybe by the end of this week and the start of next week when they all go back to Canberra for Parliament, there might be enough of a shift and a move on. But it requires Julia Gillard to step down. And whatever my disagreements with her, I think one of her core strengths is that she is a woman of steel and will just stare him down. She's a bit of an iron lady, isn't she? Well, I wouldn't use that term because I, as someone who reveres Margaret Thatcher, I think she earned that title for uh, doing good things on policy. But she's certainly steely, uh, and I, she's certainly somebody who isn't going to be pushed around by Kevin Rudd and his backers, and I don't think there's any circumstances in which she would choose to resign. Yeah, I think she's a force to be reckoned with. Leeds, what do you think? Yeah, I do too. I know, uh, there were rumours that... Uh, 
anyone who came to tap her on the shoulder and say, that's your time done, move along, she was going to, I think, slam the door in the face or kick them in the balls or something. I think that was a phrase <laughs> thrown around. Hmm. Um, and I love it when she fires up in Parliament Question Time. Um, she's I don't, fearless. She is, completely. And I don't think she's going to take it lying down, that's for sure. But and and that's what, that was what was reflected when uh, Simon when Simon Crean basically stood up in t- front of the entire nation and said, I think it's time for you to go. I'm a former leader of this party. I'm a, a minister of your government. And she just turned around and said, well, bring on the fight. I'm happy to have it. That's got a real game on mole flavour about it, hasn't it? It does. I, I reckon she's got it on a t-shirt underneath that her you nice Well, it, 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 it sort of does. But that's <laughs> that's a different show, Tim. Thank you for joining us tonight and sharing um, just very briefly your, your thoughts on that. I, I did feel that you were the guy to go to to give us a pretty good overview of that and you've certainly achieved that for us. Where can people follow you on Twitter, mate? Uh, TimWilson.com.au All right, we will tweet that later. <laughs> Thanks for joining Thanks, us. Guys. Have a great night. Good night. You too. Clever, clever boy, Tim mm. Wilson. He um, it concerns me that he's a fan of the Baroness Thatcher, but you know I can <laughs> forgive most things. Um, your thoughts? I just I thought the comment about um, her not really having any policy was interesting. I mean, mm. I know all the big policy moves haven't been made as public because you know there's been too much shouting over the top, basically. Well, she's too busy the... trying to cling on. Exactly. There's been too much distraction. But I would have thought things like the NDIS and, and whatnot. Yeah, hmm. I would, you know, I guess, suggest otherwise. you know, Tim sits quite firmly in the Liberal camp, so his sense of what might be an achievement for the Labor government might be a little bit different. So we're going to go to yeah, some true. messages now, and then we're going to talk to Greg Adkins, who's the president of the South Yarra branch of the ALP. You can find more Joycasts and show blogs. Go to joy.org.au. Ethel Chop here. You're listening to Joy 94.9. Idiot. Thanks very much, Ethel. Leith? Yes. I think it's definitely time to balance the books, though, and hear from within the ranks of the ALP. Now, Greg... Greg Adkins, apologies, Greg, is a journalist, a long-time member of, current board member of Joy 94.9, a former ministerial advisor, president of the South Yarra ALP, and a member of the ALP's GLBTIQ Policy Committee. Yes, that's me. You're a dyed-in-the-wool <laughs> ALP man, my love, and you are a long-term family member of the Salt and Pepper crew. Welcome back to the Airways, love. Oh, pleasure being here, especially, you know, I'm, I'm glad to put my rusted on ALP credentials out there. I'm quite out and proud about that. Well, that's great, because you're out and proud in every other way, my love. <laughs> <laughs> not in this weather, though, not in this weather. Hey, look, Greg, tell us what you think about all... Uh, look, I'm going to pre- preface this. Mark Latham, nutbag, but does he have an element of truth in his commentary on ABC last night, which I think we've got a little bit of audio that I'd like you to listen to before we come back and chat to you about what's happening with the, the leadership in the ALP nationally right now. Let's play that audio. Go through the list of caucus members, there are 25 sub-factional warlords. 25 out of 100 odd in the caucus. So on average, each of them has got three followers. Now, you couldn't run a small business, a community organisation, a sporting club by having 25 people 
who've got influence. And what happens is that these sub-factional warlords cluster around a, a leader. They've got to be part of the manoeuvring, Machiavellian tactics. They've got to impress their small band of followers. And the modern structure of the Parliamentary Labor Party has descended into anarchy. Uh, I think the party would be better advised to die on its feet than to live on its knees as a matter of principle. Even, even if that meant complete, well, really being reduced to a rump of uh, a small number of MPs. Tony, I give you this guarantee. History will not judge people well. Okay, so that's very stern words from Mr Mark Latham. Greg, what's your take on this? Well, you know, it's a feather dust. I want him to be a rooster again, unfortunately. Look, <laughs> it, well, I've met Mark, and I think he's a lovely person. He, he should be in a sandwich. Really cool. Hey, the question, though, is all this leadership speculation is based on rumour. It's based on innuendo. It's okay, I think we've lost Greg there. Um, we might... We might just throw to a track really quickly and see if we can get Greg back on the line. To find out more about Joy 94.9, check out joy.org.au. Just let that song go really quickly because we've managed to get the lovely Greg Adkins back on the line. Greg, where'd you go, love? Look, Mark Latham just pulled the plug on my phone. Why'd you do that? <laughs> oh, you're sounding almost as paranoid as Mr Latham is himself. Look, but, walk us through this. We've got nine minutes until we wrap this baby tonight. Give us your thoughts. But you've said the right word is paranoia. What we've got is we've got a media that's so fixated on fiction and fantasy that it's it's gone ballistic. Now... Is the leadership coming from the Labor Party? Well, the discussion this time hasn't come from the Labor Party. It came from people like Chris Pine. Now, what party is he part of? He's part of the Liberal National Coalition. And he was flouting all these rumours the other day and got caught out. The stuff he was talking about was debunked an hour and a half before he opened his mouth. So is it an IPA-led Liberal Party plan from the people that came back from the Republican presidential campaign, the last presidential campaign, that are now running the, the show here in, in Australia for the Libs? I don't know. Because we know how well it worked out for the Republicans in uh, America. Awkward. And the end Awkward. of the day, is, Abbott has to stand up and show us his policy. At the end of the day, we elect a government on policy, don't we, and on what they've got to offer the people. I just want to sit with that. Abbott needs to show us his policy. Keep your policy to yourself, please. Everybody in the studio is getting a bit dirty looking on them. They're all giggling. All the gay boys are giggling because they think policy means penis. (laughs) We've seen that already. Yep, yep. No prizes for guessing that there's gay boys in the studio as we speak. I'm interested to get your thoughts on what it means to the gays in the event that Kevin comes back to lead the country. Well, you can kiss goodbye, you know, if Kevin comes back to lead the country. But if he comes back, he'll be leading the opposition because to change government, to change leader at this point... be stage, dead in the water. To change... Yeah, it's a dead, dead duck. The only option, option of us getting marriage equality is for Julia to win this election, get in, and have conscience voting right across the spectrum with all parties. Marriage equality comes in and away we go. If we don't have Julia returned, it'll be you know, Rudd or whoever in the opposition, and Abbott for six to nine years will not allow a conscience vote on his side, and there won't be marriage equality for six to nine years until Labor returns. It's scary, isn't it? Very. It's very scary thoughts indeed. Look, how do you think it's going to play out this week? We've just spoken to Tim Wilson from the IPA, and he believes that she will hold firm and that she will retain the seat of the PM. What are your thoughts? In other words, is Tim conceding that with policy out there, um, Abbott's going to lose the election? Is that what he's conceding? Absolutely not. He's saying that that Labor uh, don't have any policies to speak of. What's your What's your response to that? 
Now, the IPA, of course, we should know that they're funded by big oil, big interest, big wealth, uh, and their commentary usually is uh, from those people. So um, which part of those interest groups is Tim talking from? Now, I think he's wrong. There's fantastic public policy Labor Party running, education, uh, and they've got the biggest state in Australia, New South Wales on board. Maybe Victoria's a little bit lagging. They've got the NDIS, brilliant reforming social policy as only a Labor Party can do. And you've got the, um, of course, the, the national broadband scheme, the, the one with the high-speed internet that uh, the Liberals don't quite seem to understand that we, we can't operate in 19, 1988 sort of internet speeds. So um, I think that's a pretty good start for social policy. Yeah, you might be right. What can people do to back their local ALP member? Do you feel that there's a call to action here with you know the impending meltdown that we seem to be playing through in the papers at the moment? Well, I don't, we don't know at South Yarra where the meltdown is. We're increasing our numbers. South Yarra Labor Party is, is um, brimming. Uh, we've got more people coming on board ahead of this election than you've, we've seen at any other previous federal or state election. So I don't know where the you know where that's coming from. I think it's once again the social and conservative policy uh, commentariat that think they're on a winner when uh, with Abbott, when perhaps they're not. Well, I think it's all about playing a very dirty game in the lead-up to the election in September. We've been chatting to Greg Adkins, who's a, a long-term member of Joy and, and a board member and, and, a, and a dear friend of this show. Thanks for joining us tonight, mate, and thank you for your wisdom. A pleasure. Nice being on Pink Radio. Ah, good on you, mate. Take care. Let's go to some messages, Lee. Joy 94.9 is a GLBTIQ community radio station in Melbourne, Australia. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. We've had a couple of messages as well. We've had... Nobody's actually telling us who they are tonight, I might add. So someone's actually... very mysterious. Oh, it's from the same person the whole way. Um, Gillard is a gutsy woman. Lathan might be a loose cannon, but he speaks the truth. Thank you. So over leadership, how apt Tim Wilson was tonight. And then he's a homo con on speed, that Wilson. ALP is about policies. I have absolutely no idea what that means, but thank you so much for sending it through. Leith Marshall. Yes, Serena Ryan. Thank you so much for joining us. We're creeping up to 8 o'clock. We're making way for the pinky leftos. Loving your guts for coming in. Yeah, I loved being here. It's always such a good time in this uh, on this show. Well, you know, really valued your input tonight and thank you for stepping once more into the breach. Oh, happy to. <laughs> All right, we will be back next week on Salt and Pepper for our very second last show. Aww. Yes, and then we bid adieu to joy. So, uh, yeah, wipe your eyes, darling. It's Sorry. okay. Tissues and a hug are on. I just have a lot of viewings. Oh, my darling. Thank you to Matt Nock for pushing all of my buttons and not in the right way. Maddie T for great news headlines. We've got a couple of people in the studio tonight, Roxy and Byrne, who are just sitting there being amazing and taking too many photos. It's two minutes to eight. Thanks for joining us. Good night. is a free service brought to you by Joy 94.9. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.